Hey GTA, hope you're having a stellar weekend so far. Well, there is still six more hours of it, so I hope you're enjoying your Sunday night wherever you may be. And thank you for tuning in to Tech Talk and making News Talk 1010 a part of your night. My goal on this program isn't just to celebrate technology, but to also help demystify it. I'll tell you about tonight's awesome guests in a moment, but first a thank you to my amazing sponsor. Tech Talk is brought to you by the all-new 2018 Chevrolet Traverse, boldly redesigned and loaded with available tech like wireless charging, a hands-free liftgate, and surround vision camera to give you the confidence to go anywhere. Visit chevrolet.ca to learn more. We have a great show planned for you tonight. We'll catch up with Microsoft in a moment to talk about education. On a related note, I'll also share some of my back-to-school tech ideas for that student in your home. Also this hour, we'll learn about the Skyrunner flying car later on in the program and a lot more on tonight's Tech Talk. Well, it's almost back to school time, and while kids may be collectively rolling their eyes, at the very least, there's some cool tech to help them ease into the classroom. The most critical tool, I'd argue, is a laptop or other kind of device where you can take notes and write your essays and book reports and so on. But today's modern PCs don't bear much resemblance to those that came before it. Joining us from Microsoft to tell us all about what's new and what to look for in a back-to-school PC, we've got Jordan Chrisafidis on the line. He is the general manager of Global Education Device Sales at Microsoft. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Hey, Mark. Great to be here. All right. So let's dive right in. How have PCs changed over the years? Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. You know, I think when uh, when uh, devices first were introduced, you know, we had sort of big, clunky laptops. It was really almost more a novelty, the fact that you could get a portable form factor in a PC. And what we've seen happen you know, in recent years, as devices become more advanced, they're thinner, they're lighter. But maybe more specifically, as we think about education, we're really getting devices that are built for that education marketplace. So they're ruggedized, they're spill-proof, so they can take up to 100 mils of, of liquid on them. And they have those all-day batteries, which are really a fire code requirement in, in many classrooms, certainly in the, in the K-12 space. And then I think most importantly, through a lot of really strong work by Microsoft and, and our OEM partners, we've got a huge portfolio of devices that are really meeting every budget requirement. So great entry-level devices that are below $200, all the way up to those super high-end devices that can run AR and VR and some of the more advanced applications that you might use in, in the creative elements. And so, you know, we really are seeing strong development of PCs to address a student of all ages and of all requirements. Mm -hmm. All right, so long gone are the days of the old Backbreaker 3000. <laughs> There's no more computers that weigh a ton. Uh, now they can just be, you know, like even 1.15 pounds with the new Surface Go from Microsoft, which is phenomenal. You don't even feel it in your backpack. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, all-day battery may not be the sexiest of features to, to read when you're looking on the back of a box or online to decide if you want to buy a computer, but incredibly important, especially for a student uh, of, of any age, but especially when you're on campus. The last thing you want to do is have to bring a, a power cable with you and, and stop and be a wall hugger, quote-unquote. It's going to slow you down. So there's been a lot of change. And just to clarify to our listeners, you said OEM. That just stands for original equipment manufacturers. That's another name for the different uh, partners you've got, like the likes of Dell and HP and Lenovo and Asus and so on, correct? 
That's absolutely right. Okay. All right. So let's now talk about some of the different ways that you can now interface with your content. Again, going back to the original laptops, it was a keyboard and then the introduction of the trackpad, which sort of simulated a mouse uh, built into the computer. But now we've got many different ways to uh, access content. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've learned a couple of things over the years. Certainly the keyboard is a great way to create documents, etc. And, you know, we do expect that that will continue. Uh, However, we also have many pieces of third-party research which show that when students take their notes with ink and a stylus, they actually have a better comprehension of the material. They retain it better and ultimately they get better test scores. We actually have third-party research which shows the results get anywhere from 26 to 38% better comprehension of that material. And that's really important when you talk about the STEM subjects like, like math and science. The second piece is that many more applications are now taking advantage uh, of that stylus input. So say you're doing a, a collaborative research project and you're using something like Windows Inc. on Microsoft Edge. You can circle key portions of the web page and then email that to your, uh, to your collaborators on, on the project. So there's lots of great work that, that's happening there. The other piece uh, is really around the, the interaction uh, of the computer being able to read back to you the content that's on the web. And in fact, we've got a great tool called Immersive Reader, which actually is a teaching tool. It helps people who are, you know, potentially have uh, uh, reading issues or dyslexia and helps them read and can also read those articles back to them to help them become better readers over time. We know that this is one of the most important skill sets that you can learn because from the time that you're, you know, in kindergarten or so up until fourth grade, you're learning to read. And from fourth grade and onward, you're reading to learn. And so that's a very, very important tool that we've built into every Windows PC that allows that interaction and really that learning tool focused on the student outcome. Mm. I know it was a recent Windows uh, 10 update that also added uh, a button called Read Aloud, which also could help those who want to maybe multitask. You're you're writing down some notes, but you want to hear something being read to you, say an article. Or as you said, you could have some sort of sight impairment. You also touched on touch, which is very important. And then you add not just your fingertips, but a stylus pen for uh, Windows Inc. And you can actually write on the screen. And I've read similar reports uh, too, Jordan, that you do retain information better when you handwrite it compared to typing out notes during, say, a lecture. So very interesting. And then there's also voice on the other way around with Cortana, which is built into Windows 10. You can now talk to your computer and hear a human-like voice give you a reply. It's sort of like an AI personal assistant. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Cortana is certainly, especially in the higher grades, one of those things that continues to gain traction, uh, particularly where you're doing large research projects and you know, you're really utilizing the power of Cortana to search the web for information. We also give uh, control to both the parents as well as school administrators in case they want to turn Cortana off. And you can can imagine that in some cases there's concerns about privacy or what the kids are asking Cortana. So we want to make sure that we really empower the people who are administrating devices uh, to be able to turn that off if they feel it's necessary. 
We're chatting with Jordan Chrysophitis. He is the general manager of global education, device sales at Microsoft based in Redmond, Washington. Is there, Jordan, anything that you're super excited about with what you see coming down the road? I mean, already we've seen such a, an amazing evolution of the modern PC. Is there anything that gets you excited as you think about this back to school season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's really a, a much broader ecosystem to think about when, when we think about education. And, you know, the Windows platform really enables that to happen. But I kind of encourage everyone to think about it in a more broad sense. You know, first off, you know, the way we think about education at Microsoft is the North Star is the student outcome. And by that, I mean that the students learn better, that they get better test scores, that they graduate. And ultimately, they go get great productive jobs and become great productive members of society. And to focus on those learning outcomes, we've really developed a whole set of tools that take advantage of the Windows platform. You know, I talked about the great work that we're doing around stylus and, and immersive reader from a learning tools perspective. But the other piece that's very, very exciting is the work that we're doing around STEM. When I think about the hottest way to learn STEM in the world today, hands down, it's Minecraft. And anyone who's got kids between the ages of 9 and 13, I guarantee that, uh, that they've used Minecraft. And with things like our Chemistry Edition or the Update Aquatic that we've just released or any of the code-building add-ons that are part of it, this is a real great reason to think about Windows as your platform because it doesn't run on a Chromebook or, or any of those other devices. And, Again, just absolutely the hottest way to, uh, to, to learn STEM. Third thing, which is very exciting, is that, and this, this comes from a personal experience as well, um, is just the power that you get with the Windows platform with things like AR and VR. And if I can tell you a personal story, I have two boys. One of them just graduated university. I've got another one who's just finished his first year of college. And uh, my, my youngest one, his graduating high school class, they chose nine kids to go to Machu Picchu. And I couldn't help but think that if they had a great Machu Picchu demo um, on the AR and VR uh, headsets, they would have had the opportunity to send the whole class to Machu Picchu, not nine kids. And these are the kinds of experiences that we're enabling with our higher-end devices like the Surface, uh, like the high-end devices from HP and Dell, that pair with a great uh, mixed reality headset that uh, allow you to take advantage of that content. And then I would say lastly, we spent a ton of time on helping uh, school administrators as well as parents with great controls around these devices. So, you know, if there's specific things you want to enable or disable on the platform, you have the power to be able to do that really simply, much easier than you did just a couple years ago with products like Intune, uh, which allow allow for great uh, web-based management of mass amounts of, of devices. So all up, we really feel like there's been this advancement in this technology and the learning tools, the great applications, and then ultimately the power to manage these devices securely and being respectful of privacy. Jordan, is there a website that you'd recommend our listeners go to to learn more about Microsoft and their education-related initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to Microsoft.com backslash education, you'll get all the information that we've been talking about today. You'll also be able to see a whole portfolio of great devices that are built for education and really something that matches every budget that's out there.
All right, Jordan, thank you very much for your time, and I hope that your son, who is still in school, has an easy time settling back into the classroom. I know I've got three myself who are all in high school. So thanks again, Jordan. I appreciate your time and your expertise. Right on. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. We'll be back shortly on Tech Talk. Welcome back to Tech Talk, everyone. I just came off of a five-day cross-Canada media tour showing gadgets on TV shows tied to back to school. It is that time of the year. It's mid to late August. So yes, it is time for students and or parents of students to consider what technology they should use to head off into school. Um, I focus mostly on, say, middle school and up. So middle school, high school, college and university. All right, so I started with a tablet that can transform into a laptop. It's the new Microsoft Surface Go. It's only 1.15 pounds, but it is a so a, a very portable but affordable and powerful tablet that when you connect what's called a type cover keyboard, it uh, transforms it into a laptop. So I showed that on TV and it went over well because of merely because of the size. I mean, that was the real, I think... Um, the weight and the size is really the story here. So light enough that you don't even feel it in your backpack. It's amazing. Comes with a Surface Pen, so you can write on the screen as well. And then the keyboards are optional. But I like that it's a Windows 10 S operating system. S could stand for secure, if you will, uh, as it'll help protect uh, students from malicious software, which I'll get to more in a moment as well. And uh, it's versatile because it's Windows. It works with lots of different software and hardware, has expandable memory, a little kickstand that pops open, it's great. So $529 to start at Best Buy and BestBuy.ca. And then the keyboards that are optional are $129 to start. Speaking of cybersecurity, I did also remind viewers on these TV shows this week how important it is to protect all of your devices, whether it's a laptop, desktop, smartphone, tablet, or even a smart TV. So ESET, who you've you've heard me talk about them on this show before, they are my preferred software uh, company for cybersecurity. So they will protect all of your devices from scams, hacks, uh, viruses, and other threats. Um, and without you even knowing that it's running, it's really a, a thin client, as we call it. And if you're into gaming, you know that you don't want your system bogged down with antivirus. So ESET does a great job there. It's $39 for the year, and that's on sale from 59 which is great stuff. I also showed a smartphone from Huawei on this media tour, and it really does look great on TV. It's the Huawei P20 Pro. It's a, a beautiful 6.1-inch Android phone, and great especially for students who love to take photos because it's the world's first triple Leica lens camera phone. So it's got three lenses on the back. The main uh, one is it has a 40-megapixel sensor, so capturing a ton of data. And it's great for low light performance as well. It has ISO levels, ISO levels, that are comparable to a big SLR camera, believe it or not, one of those big dedicated uh, prosumer cameras that you would wear around your neck on a lanyard. It has ISO levels of over 102,000, so great for low light performance. It has five times hybrid zoom, so it does have a second lens that's for telephoto and a wide angle lens as well. And uh, combined, it's five times zoom with uh, digital and optical without uh, any imperfections in the video quality uh, or photo quality. It's also a great battery. It has a great battery of up to two days, which is pretty much unheard of in, uh, in this day and age. So the Huawei P20 Pro can last up to two days. And if you don't have a lot of time to charge up your phone, you only have, say, 30 minutes, that can boost your phone's battery to a full day. So great stuff. The Huawei P20 Pro costs $1049 outright, or it's a $0 phone on a two-year plan with carriers like Bell. 
If you're just tuning in now, I'm talking about these back-to-school devices that I showed on TV this week. I was in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and Toronto. Unfortunately, I missed uh, Montreal and the East Coast this time around and parts of Saskatchewan that I usually like to visit as well. Uh, next up, I showed the Epson EcoTank. Uh, you've heard me talk about this product lineup on this show before. These are printers, all-in-one printers, so printers, scanners, and copiers that out of the box have up to two years worth of ink. So you get these bottles instead of cartridges and they lock onto the printer and they, you pour them in and then you've got up to two years worth of ink. That's up to 6,500 black pages or up to 5,200 color pages, which is amazing. And then when it is time to buy more ink in say two years, they're inexpensive bottles, as I mentioned, under $20 a pop. This printer is great for wireless printing, even on a phone or a tablet, and ideal for both documents and photos. It's $379 for the Epson EcoTank 2750. Two more products I'll leave you with, and these are more catered, let's say, to parents of students. One is called the D-Link Full HD Pan and Tilt Wi-Fi Camera. So this is a camera that you would put in your home. Let's say you've got latchkey kids and you want to, you know, have that peace of mind knowing that they're home from school safely. Set this up in your home, maybe pointed towards the front door. And whenever these cameras sense motion or sound, it sends mom or dad a video clip to their phone through the D-Link app. Really cool stuff. So it's a Wi-Fi camera with both local and cloud storage so you can keep it in the cloud or you can store to a little micro sd card there's two-way audio so you can talk to your kids for free over wi-fi there's night vision support and i i did call it a pan and tilt wi-fi camera so with the app you can make it go up and down or left and right to see more of your environment awesome stuff that's from d-link and it's 139 for the full hd pan and tilt wi-fi camera and then finally, why clean your home when you can have a robot do the dirty work for you? Especially as we're back into the fall, you're going to be busy with the kids and extracurricular activities, busy at work. The iRobot Roomba 690 is a great floor vacuuming robot from a company that's been doing it for a long time now. And I love the fact that uh, there's different ways you can use it. You can press the big circle button on the top for it to uh, autonomously drive around your home and suck up dirt and dust and debris and, and cat and dog hair. Uh, or you can use an app to do it uh, on a phone or tablet. You can use uh, the app to schedule the Roomba to clean when you're not even there which is pretty neat, like, you know, every day from, say, 10 till 12, have it clean your home. Or for the first time, you can use your voice. So Amazon Alexa and Google Home Support. So if you have one of those smart speakers, you can just say, iRobot, clean my home. And then the uh, Roomba 690 will go and do its thing. Awesome stuff. It's got a three-stage cleaning system, a little brush that pops out that spins around for getting in corners. And it's very easy to clean the uh, dust bin as well. Just, uh, you know, bang it into a, a garbage can and that's it. It's $4.99 for the iRobot Roomba 690. Well, anyways, that's a look at some back to school tech for you. I'll share some more uh, suggestions next week, by the way. These are for students and for parents. All right. Hey, before we continue on with this show, someone asked me about some headphones that I recommended a few weeks back. Uh, they like to exercise. This uh, person who wrote me from the beach area said that uh, they like to work out and they wanted a, a good pair of Bluetooth headphones. So, the pair that I recommended was the LG Tone Pro Bluetooth headset. The model number is HBS 780. It's available for $79 at retailers like Best Buy, Walmart, uh, Amazon.ca, and so on. The LG Tone Pro Bluetooth wireless stereo headset are wireless earbuds, but there's a lightweight and comfortable curved band that rests behind your neck, which powers the earbuds and delivers outstanding sound quality. Plus, these earbuds include dual microphones for when a call comes in. 
I also like that the LG Tone Pro has smart features like the ability to leave yourself a voice memo. You can track the earbuds if they're misplaced. The LG Tone Pro Bluetooth headset's battery lasts up to 10 and a half hours for music and up to 16 hours of talk time between charges. More info is at LG.ca. All right, we'll be back momentarily with more tech talk. Hang tight. In case you missed the news, Uber is planning to launch an autonomous drone flying taxi service in Los Angeles by 2020, having penned a deal with the U.S. space agency, NASA. Now, on paper, it sounds good, but industry experts, including Stuart Hamill, who's the founder and CEO of Skyrunner, an FAA-certified flying car, they say that Uber and others need to tackle what's referred to as the last mile issue before this future of public transit can take off, if you can pardon the pun. Joining us to elaborate is Stuart Hamill of Skyrunner. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Now, in your company's press release, it says, and I quote, solving complex issues such as traffic congestion and environmental pollution can become realistic only when the last mile connectivity is resolved. Can you explain mm-hmm. in, this, in this reference what last mile means? Yeah, the last mile is the last few hundred feet or so that's always been difficult or expensive to achieve. Uh, it's the last stretch of wire, fiber optic cable that brings, say, communication entertainment into to our homes. And that's always been the quiet secret about personal air transport for years. <clears throat> it typically gets us from one runway to runway, and that's not always where we want to go. And doorstep to doorstep, A to B, is, is, is the expected. Uh, it's, not, it's not just a luxury. Right, but that's not possible today because you would need vertical takeoff, right, for, for aerial, for a flying You know, it, the last mall is, is not a function of, of will. It's a function of safety and regulation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, flying and, you know, with, uh, say, helicopters or any, you know, gyrocopter, you know, landing in front of your house where there's dense population, um, it's why airports are away from population and buildings. Sure, um, sure. So that's and when you look at takeoff and landings, like where accidents happen, it's going to be mostly takeoff and landings. That's the bulk on a on a bell curve. So you don't want to be in dense areas. So flying from you know landing at your home, um, that's going to be the shortest distance. It's going to get you know. So flying cars are going to go A to B, but you're going to have to get picked up from B to go to C. Yeah, and it's fine as long as it's it's a it's a fair distance. So for example, if you want to go. 10,000 miles, you probably opt for a jet, maybe a 777. If you're going to go 350 miles and you have a Cessna, your buddy has a Cessna, you might opt for the Cessna. You don't need a jet to go that short distance. And I think personal air transport, and I think what Uber uh, is doing right, there is going to be a niche um, between, say, 5 and 50 miles. Speed's not going to be. Safety's going to come first before speed. Um, so there is going to be a problem to solve. It's just not going to be air taxi from one block to the next block. Got it. So then, Stuart, what would be the answer to solving this last mile problem? The answer is going to come in, um, it's going to be in uh, adaptability. <clears throat> can, some, can someone fly from A to B and ground transport um, to that last mile? And how do you do that? Is it all built into one? Or are they separated? I, the, the thing that's unique about Skyrunner, it's not a problem we were trying to solve. We just wanted to be incredibly versatile. We wanted to have, um, we wanted to be the most adaptable uh, uh, adventure vehicle, right? So if you're going over complex terrain and you're driving, 
problem solved. If something too big gets in your way, you fly over it. Um, so we wanted to be able to just go wherever we wanted to go and reduce that friction. So if we land, in fact, in December, we did the very first demonstration where the first light sport aircraft or FA certified aircraft to ever demonstrate doorstep to doorstep um, delivery. And we picked a woman up from her house, drove um, to an open area, took off, flew over a river, over a bridge, and landed in four minutes, four and a half minutes, where the drive time was almost 20, and delivered to a doorstep. Um, but it was a large, it was a stately home, and there was plenty of, of room and land. It wasn't a populated area. So it made it very, very easy for us to do, taking off from a field and landing in another field and then driving to the doorstep. We're chatting with Stuart Hamill. He's the founder and CEO of Skyrunner, an FAA-certified flying car. Now, before I ask you about uh, Uber and some of these other companies that may have issues with air taxi uh, services, I'm looking at pictures of the Skyrunner right now, and it does very much look like a car first and not a small mm-hmm. aircraft. Uh, but I'm mm-hmm. also seeing lots of pictures of parachutes on the back. So can you explain, right. uh, before we continue, um, and perhaps we should have started <laughs> with this, uh, so explain to us how it works. I mean, let's say you're you're in your driveway. How do you take off? So, Skyrunner, if you're going to start from your home, um, we have kits to make them street legal. Most states will allow to make it street legal. Um, you just have to take it to the DMV. So you check with your DMV to make sure these are the required components. Now, you don't want to go on the highway, but if you're just driving from your house to an open field, that's where you would begin. So if your backyard is that big estate, you know, you've got five acres in your backyard, say, unobstructed, that could be a good spot. Um, if, it's, um, if it's an open pasture, a freshly cut hay field, it could be a private beach, it could be a, a grass runway. Um, you have a lot of options. I rarely go to an airport. Uh, I warm the engine up. Um, I, I do my walk-around checklist, which is um, very easy to do. We're a very simple aircraft. Uh, uh, Cessna, say 172, generally takes me about 20 minutes to do my external, internal walk-around checklist if I'm carrying a passenger. Um, and Skyrunner's um, more expedient. It takes me probably five minutes. Um, and then the warm-up, it takes me two and a half minutes, literally, to get the wing laid out. I pull it from behind the um, the second seat, so the passenger seat, I lay the bag on the ground, unzip it, um, pull the parachute out, spread it out, um, check my lines, and then get uh, get in Skyrunner and, uh, and engage forward. The wing comes over your head in about 15 feet, um, full power up, and you're in the air in less than 500 feet. Wow. So it's only, t- it's very, very simple. It, it What makes Skyrunner so simple is it only has two input controls. That means up, down, and left, and right, pitch and roll, technically speaking. Um, most aircraft and helicopters have three, which is a yaw. You've seen the foot pedals where you control the, the rudder. Um, that allows you to fly straight. We've, we've solved a problem shortening, um, building something into our aircraft that compensates for rudder. So you're only dealing with left, right, up, down. Hmm. Okay, so technically it's easier to fly than another vehicle, but you no doubt need some sort of license to do so. Absolutely. Yeah, in light sport, you you need um, a light sport license. It takes 10 hours with a instructor, two hours solo. It takes about a week. Um, but you have to um, 
you have to be 17 years old, have a valid U.S. driver's license, read and speak, write English, and then your flight training. How high can you go and how far can you go? We're restricted to 10,000 feet um, based on our, um, our category. But most powered parachute, most uh, paraplane operators are going to fly anywhere from 200 foot off the ground to 1,200 feet off the ground. Um, the highest I've been is maybe 83, 8,400 feet AGL. It's not particularly fun. Uh, you, you don't get a sense of movement or see much. It's more fun to be closer to the ground and fly low and slow. And um, that's that's the essence of flight. You know, it's that moment where it's it's almost it's almost exactly like your childhood dream of flight because you're not going fast enough to feel uncomfortable, um, but you feel the wind like being on a motorcycle, and everything just feels smooth. Um, it's like a fast hot air balloon. So it's one of the most remarkable experiences as a pilot. I, you know, I picked this type of aircraft because it was supposed to be for my kids and, and my property in Colorado. It was not supposed to be a business. So my most precious possessions I was putting in the back, um, you know, I had to think what kind of aircraft do I want to build? And what I respected about the powered parachute was that it had the best safety record in aviation in 40 years. So, and there's a lot of reasons to it. Um, there's one, it's not flying very fast. You're, you know, we're flying at 40, around 40 miles an hour. Um, it's a pendulum effect. So it stabilizes itself. If, if there was any situation uh, where you felt out of control, you can drop all power, let go of the steering, and it, it reconciles itself. So it always deploys uh, that parachute upon landing. And how much runway do you need to land? Uh, the same as taking off. You know, as long as you give yourself plenty of room, it's not so much the distance to take off, it's what your obstacles are. So if, you know, never take off towards, like, if a tree line is really close to you and it's windy, there's, there's this is part of training, but um, airflow, rotors that occur over treetops, buildings, you just want to make sure when you take off, you have an open place that if you ever need to land suddenly that you've, you're ahead of the aircraft. We'll continue our chat with the company behind Skyrunner, a flying car, when we return on News Talk. 1010. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Tech Talk. We're chatting with Stuart Hamill. He's the founder and CEO of Skyrunner, a flying car. Based on your experience, Stuart, what problems would Uber and other companies likely face as they attempt to enter the air taxi space? I think the biggest problem is regulatory. The second is going to be cost. So um, I, I think Uber is going to do it. In fact, you know, I see Uber and I see Google doing this. It's, it's actually quite inspiring to us to watch. It, it's, you know, when you're pioneer, you're going to take arrows, and it's just part of it. But what they're doing is laying the groundwork. Um, so the regulatory is just going to be limited to where you can take off and land, right? So then you got to solve for that. Um, and then it's finding what is the cost? You know, a lot of the cost is probably going to be in uh, – it's going to be the wealthier or high-end business commuters, right? Because right? the money that's going in this to, to get a return, um, it, it's probably going to be more expensive. Um, or it, it's going to be uh, how much savings, you know, what's the optimal distance? And in that optimal distance, how much of that in the A and B are you solving on time? From B to C, it may have been just as fast to, to get um, a taxi right. or an yeah. Uber. Obviously, yeah. So d that's when you have to find – I don't see these things going 150 miles. Possibly could. I could be wrong on that. I just think that the sweet spot is finding something 
further than what you would t- typically take a, um, an Uber or a Lyft or a cab, um, it would have to be a distance greater. It would not be going from you know one side of downtown Dallas to another side of downtown Dallas. I don't think uh, the time savings is going to be there. So with all this in mind, how realistic is Uber's timeline of launching this in 2020? Well, I think they're going to do it. Hmm. No, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it in Dallas. Um, Google's further along than anybody knows. Um, they're already doing, you know, doing these uh, in New Zealand. Um, at least they're doing the um, the trials over there. Um, I don't know if the, it's experimental, but you know, there's there's a lot. The technology today it has gotten so fast that now it's it's capable. Um, you're going to get. Some with technology, there's there's pros and cons. You just don't want when technology becomes autonomous and you're flying autonomous, it's going to be you need a plan B when it comes to you know if there was a sun flare that caused a problem with GPS or EMP. You know the more of these things you get in the air, then you have to you know people start looking differently of where they they place um, emphasis on um, mm-hmm. um, creating problems, hacking. Um, sure. You know, you want to be sure that there's a plan B and plan C in place. The nice thing, and, and I don't see us competing with them. I mean, unless we switched and went general aviation or added a general, general aviation product, I guess we could do that. I think our, we're about the experience. I mean, it, there's this fun, this exhilaration that happens in Skyrunner, and it's really hard to explain. But the liberation of taking off, I've landed on an island before, right, and goofed off, and, fl- and that's a moment. Right when you when you go land on an island and, and things you've turned mountains into molehills. And I, I try to teach my kids that how to problem solve and how to take something that seems like a mountain but it's really a molehill, and that's what I kind of I did as a as a metaphor um, uh, for my kids is showing how to you know using building something that turns mountains into molehills. So I've flown over you know ridges, I've flown over rivers, lakes. Nothing tends to really get in my way other than class Bravo airspace and. <laughs> military airspace, but that that gives me ninety eight nine nine percent of the airspace to fly in. So a light sport pilot in the U S. can fly ninety eight nine nine percent of the airspace with Skyrunner. You know, for a geek like me, this this gets me excited on two fronts. Um, one is is the the ability to fly. You know, and even urban. Uh, flight if it's again mm-hmm. uh, it's FAA certified for for that as well right um, mm-hmm. but also the autonomous side so if mm-hmm. if Uber and others are working on that and I don't know if you are uh, with Skyrunner mm-hmm. but but having a pilotless aircraft and trusting that technology these are a couple of hurdles for most people for me it's really right. cool uh, but so, <laughs> so I asked you if you thought Uber was ready but what about the general public I think um, as long as safety is forefront. Um, yeah, and I think that the public, everything takes a little time. You're going to have the early adopters, um, and we've sold, look, we've sold to early adopters that are billionaires, Silicon Valley t- tycoons, um, royalty, ranchers, um, owners of you know, pro um, sports teams. I mean, it's, yeah. there is this kind of want to be on the front end. And then you got the laggers that would still be buying rotary phones if they were available, right? <laughs> So there's a comfort factor, and I don't think it's for the mask. We weren't trying to go after the mask, but right now we're the cheapest flying car, and we're the only flying car in history you could buy in a dealership today. And I think that the neat thing about 
flying cars, it, well, and I'll, I'll speak to our product, is how versatile and modular it can be because we can do add-ons and do certifications. We, we were looking at an autonomous piece for government application broadly. Um, in case someone was wounded, if they had a, a broken leg and your pilot was, let's say that they uh, were passing out and you had an occupant, that it could land itself in a field. You push a button and like a drone, it goes and lands. Because if, if, if it's a large field, you have, like, and I'm talking about a large field, you, I don't need to land you know, on the, in, in a street, right? I don't have to be that specific with power lines. But if you have programmed it, you know, you, there's a technology that we can use. I'm not certified, but would allow us to land. If you're hypoxic, having a heart attack, you just radiate for medical help and you let it go land itself. Huh. Um, that is something we, you know, it's in our wheelhouse to pursue. Um, it's, um, we, we have not just because, you know, I, I don't see the demand there yet, but look, we are looking for exciting partnerships. And I think this is where you're going to see an acceleration and innovation and adopt and, and, and acceptance and adoptance, um, is when two brands come together to solve a problem. Uh, in aerospace, uh, in automotive, and, you know, I, I think there's some technologies that, you know, where one and one equals five or ten. It, it becomes collectively they're better than apart. Um, these are things that, that are out there. It's just finding the right partner to, to do these with. Before we talk pricing and wrap up, uh, tell us about the difference between, say, your vehicle and what PAL-V is doing or Terrafugia or any of these other folks. Yeah, and it's you know they have really cool you know Pal V is actually one I you know I admire Pal V it's 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 um it's attractive um it the three wheel system certainly gets around I, I don't know all the uh, rules and regs for driving on the street um and um it, it's a cool gyrocopter I, I don't know enough about it I've not seen it um but uh, where you make products and the price point those are two of the most discriminating factors of distribution distribution. So, you know, um, the, the higher the price, the smaller the audience. And we want to, you, you, you don't want to build them cheap, right? So you don't want to build them cheap because you're putting people's lives in it. But at some point, it's got to become affordable to a certain degree to hit, to, you know, to, to scale. So uh, the FA is a, is a gold standard when it comes to uh, airworthiness. Uh, it makes it easier to go into other markets that accept uh, and respect that standard. Um, but Pal V's, I mean, look, I have nothing, nothing ill. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know about the product, but I think it's, I think it's a cool product. And then, what about on, on the American front? The Terrafugia is a company I've covered in the past. Where are they at? It seems like they've uh, stalled. Now that was an MIT. Um, I believe that was out of MIT. Is that right? MIT students uh, started that, and then yeah, DARPA was, got involved. It, it was definitely in Massachusetts, but I don't know yeah. who are the who are who's funding it or where they're at. Last I heard, a Chinese company bought them. Um, so I think that happened in the last few months that it was bought by a Chinese company. Okay, all right. And I don't know where they are from there. So with Skyrunner, Stuart, tell us how much it costs for those who can afford it, and uh, where we can learn more about the required training and and how to achieve that. Yeah, so Skyrunner is uh, the, the the units we're selling are one hundred fifty four thousand. Um, we there are ways to do financing, um, so we're just now getting into that. But so far, people have just paid you know cash for them. Um, for training, we have a syndicate of, of partners, people that are powered parachute certified flight instructors. Um, so based on where they live, uh, we align them to the person that's closest 
We have people in Dallas. We have people in Phoenix, people in California, North and South California, uh, Florida, um, uh, uh, Georgia, uh, Chicago, I mean, uh, Illinois. So depending on where someone lives, there, there's actually there's dozens more than what I just rattled off. But that's where we've been sending people uh, for their training. It seems and the that- training is, is, is about maybe it's you know should be less than fifty five hundred dollars anywhere between thirty five hundred and fifty five hundred depending on what your your training cost doesn't sound like it's an obstacle especially if you can afford a hundred fifty thousand dollar vehicle uh, to right. just spend five thousand on certification which is a one time thing it doesn't sound like a, a crazy number I'm sure there's insurance implications and all that but you're saying mm-hmm. that because it's FAA certified you could fly this theoretically in in any city in the states. You just there's some some limitations with light sport because light sport is is a new um, category. It came around in 2004, but it wasn't uh, one of commercial where you're flying a lot of people. It was for recreation and fun, and that was its design, its intent. Um, but when you're flying, uh, anytime you're flying, like I mentioned, you can fly 98, 99% of the airspace. You just want to be careful you're not flying um, over a, a populated place that you could, you know, if you had to land that you're going to be landing in a populated place. You always want to have be stay, and that's part of the training is staying in front of your aircraft, whether general aviation or light sport, that you have always have a, a picked out or glide. You know your glide path. You can pick out an open area and land there safely. So yeah, most of the airspace you can fly in. All right, Stuart. So what's the best website to learn more about Skyrunner? You can learn more about us at www.flyskyrunner.com. All right. Stuart Hamill, founder and CEO of Skyrunner. Thank you very much for your time. Very exciting stuff. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, if you're curious, I didn't ask him about Transport Canada rules because this interview initially aired on my American radio show called Tech It Out. So that's why he talked about it being an FAA certified car. But off the air, he said much of the same rules and restrictions are going to be for Canada as well. Cool stuff. Speaking of cars, but ones that don't fly, I do want to thank my sponsor one last time. The all-new 2018 Chevrolet Traverse, boldly redesigned and loaded with available tech like wireless charging, a hands-free liftgate, and surround vision camera to give you the confidence to go anywhere. Visit Chevrolet.ca to learn more about the all-new Chevy Traverse. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight, everyone. Have a great week ahead, and I look forward to speaking with you next Sunday on Tech Talk. Ciao for now.